All right, welcome back, Freedom Chasers. Today we have a guest who embodies the essence of pursuing financial freedom in the digital age, Nate Lind, the author of Maximum Exit, the definitive guide for internet and technology-focused business founders, is here to share his insights from his vast experience. Not only is Nate an accomplished author, but he also wears the hat of a business broker at Website Closers, the largest marketplace boasting a range of $1 million to $150 million internet, technology, and e-commerce businesses. Inspired by Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Nate chases chased his dreams of financial freedom, discovering along the way that exiting a company and channeling its proceeds into passive income was far more efficient than running it on a passive mode. He's a testament to this, having successfully exited his first company in e-commerce tech to a shopping cart platform back in 2016. And here's a staggering fact. Currently on website closers, there are 167,000 potential buyers eyeing 103 client businesses up for sale. Nate, that was a mouthful. You were doing a tremendous amount of things. Welcome so much to the Freedom Chasers podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've got, we're shaking and baking. We got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, I've seen some real incredible stories and been a part of some and been a part of some tragedies too. So uh, here to talk with you and your audience about wherever you'd like to go in the, in the world of business or, or personal development even too. <laughs> Absolutely. We will be diving into both of those. Um, I love to let's talk about the tragedies um, that led to the triumphs first. Like what were the biggest challenges that you've run into running the type of operation that you do? Yeah, definitely. Well, the biggest one that comes to mind was when I was an e-commerce entrepreneur before I became a business broker, I was selling supplements online and uh, we had a we had one of those like like probably 12 month overnight success stories. So it took 12, like about 11 or 12 months before we got really any sales. And then when we got our first sale, all of a sudden we got like a thousand sales a day for one of our supplements. And we sold out of all of our inventory. We blew up our merchant credit card processing. There was a carrier that was picking up our products from the fulfillment company and delivering them to the uh, USPS that went out of business and, and nobody at our fulfillment center told us about it. Uh, so like over, th it only took like three or four days that our, our shipments were just being stacked up there in the warehouse and weren't getting delivered. And that's all it took. And, uh, yeah, there were enough delays that people were complaining about, you know, getting charged and not getting their products. And, um, it was a really interesting start. We sold over a million dollars that, that, that month. Uh, again, it probably took us like 10 or 11 months to get to that point. And we ended up selling about four and a half million dollars in 2012, uh, I think we only made like 80 grand though. It was like, it mostly came in the door and then right back out the door. Um, but then we, we leveled up from, uh, from that point on and doubled the year after that made some pretty good money. 2016, we made great money. I had a hell of a tax burden that was coming up upon me. And that's what got me thinking about Puerto Rico. It took many years. I'm here now, uh, outside of San Juan and Guaynabo. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's been some, <laughs> There's some pretty incredible uh, tragedies that came along before the triumph, uh, for sure. That's just one of them. Absolutely. That is usually the case. So I got 100 questions now already. So thanks for starting us off on a, on, on a roller coaster, man. So um, let's talk about the 12-month overnight success. Because first off, anybody out here listening, I mean, there really isn't no... I mean, it's extremely rare to actually be an overnight success. Usually there is some sort of run-up period. Um, so what was the big change-up that happened um, between well, the 10 the and 11 we, months where you didn't sell anything? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, um, we were just trying to get our website figured out. Um, we, we didn't, like, 
we hired a, a company to you know do our website and create you know these we this was really back before the whole russell brunson like funnel like craze became like a thing uh we were definitely using funnels back then and we and most of my clients still do now but not usually click funnels but uh what whatever system they're using so we were having a company that was building it for us and it was taking forever and costing a fortune uh and eventually we ended up uh working with this a very unique marketing niche within performance marketing uh called uh, cost per acquisition cpa so uh, it was a cpa network that was essentially a broker of traffic uh and we were only paying mm -hmm for verified sales. So there was like there was literally like a pixel or a tracking token on our website where we were connected with our affiliate network. They were sending they and their affiliates were sending eyeballs to our website and people who bought our our supplements, it would trigger a um, like a counter, like basically like the counter at Costco, you know, hitting the button as people were walking in. Same sort of idea, but it was on our website. So we were only paying for sales when they were happening. And the nice thing about that is you could have a thousand people come to the website and if nobody bought, you didn't pay for any of that traffic. The downside of that is if a thousand people come to your website, nobody buys it, the affiliates will stop sending people to your website and they'll tell you to go figure it out. Um, but fortunately we did figure it out. Uh, we were able to, to get a really optimized uh, web funnel going on and selling our supplements and had some upsells and a subscription and all that sort of fun stuff. And uh, it was, it took, yeah, about 10, 11, 12 months, but it was when it finally hit, it was a success. And we sold over a million or over, yeah, over a million dollars that first month, over almost a thousand sales a day for about two or three weeks before we sold out a product, had some issues with our fulfillment company and all the rest of the stuff just blew up. And then we had to redo it all uh, later on. Absolutely. As they say, growing pains are harder than slowing pains. You won't know that until you experience it. Um, let's talk about CPA a little bit. I don't want to dive too, too deep into the weeds, but is that generally a good advertising platform to use? Should you have the resources to do so? It's great for certain products. Uh, it works wonders for supplements, um, some consumer product goods. Uh, there's a lot of people that are using like kind of um, some electronic type stuff like drones and uh, like like personal air conditioning units and like like small gadget you know kind of as seen on TV sort of stuff. Uh, so supplements and kind of as seen on TV sort of stuff does work out pretty well. And it's all a math equation. Uh, you're going to acquire a customer for somewhere between forty five and ninety dollars, and you need to make that or more uh, as quickly as you can. A lot of times you're not making that much money on the initial sale, uh, but you might be making it as a part of some upsells. Or, or on a subscription and it might take you 15 days 30 days 45 days to recoup that initial investment uh and once you get that all kind of dialed in then it's really just a money game how much money do you have how much more marketing can you afford and then how much inventory do you have in hand and it's a, it's an incredible way to sell through millions of dollars worth of products um, so yeah, I'd say it's really effective. Um, there's some downsides to it. You know, you've got some affiliates that might have some aggressive marketing or some aggressive advertising tendencies that you have to watch out for and rein in because they may create a, uh, an air of, uh, they, they may create some bad press for you if you're just not like particularly careful or have a good quality control aspect of monitoring your affiliates. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. So let's talk about the growth of this company. You had mentioned 
Um, I believe it was 2012 is when this blow up happened. And you mentioned having a lot of overhead. You had money coming in and it's like, oh, I got to pay for stuff now. But you mentioned, I believe the year was 2016. It's like, oh, we had it figured out. All of a sudden you were netting a great number at that point. What was the big transitions that happened over that four year period? Uh, big transitions were we were using trade lines with our vendors. So once we were able to establish lines of credit with our marketing partners and our fulfillment partners and, and manufacturing partners, that was kind of a, um, a really interesting way for us to essentially gain credit lines uh, for a business that was too young really to establish, you know, um, more institutional trade lines. You can't really get those for for startups. You need to be, you know, multiple years in business and and even then you might only get a couple hundred thousand dollars. But uh, yeah, there for a period of time, we had some pretty substantial trade lines with our vendors and that really helped us grow. Uh, it also helped them grow as well, too. So it, it had a, um, a very symbiotic uh, effect between everybody that as we were growing, they were growing. Everyone was making more money, um, but it, it required a little bit of a um, a lot of trust and a hell of a lot of capital uh, amongst all of the parties because there was a lot of money at what we called a float. Uh, basically in the trade line as everything was going on. That was definitely the big one. All right. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I, I could imagine a trade line. I mean, $100,000, maybe not comparatively to the million dollars in sales, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure it opened up the doors quite a bit. Um, so Nate, I'm having navigated the exit of your own company. Is that kind of where we're going here? Or does we have more years of journey here? I'd love to know like what surprise you during the process of exiting that, but if there's more yeah. story to tell about this company, I'd be happy to hear that too. Yeah, no, it definitely leads into the exit. Um, so I, I, I became a bit of an expert at this CPA you know, style of marketing, specifically for supplements. Um, I, I started to do a lot of networking with other colleagues that had like competitive businesses that were, you know, cooperative competition, kind of, you know, cooperative competition. And many of us had very similar challenges and frustrations. And I, between me and some other folks, uh, started to create uh, events where we would get together and start to share our challenges and really start, start to mastermind, start to network amongst ourselves. And that was really helpful for my business because I was spending a lot of time, you know, networking with these other entrepreneurs. And as we were getting together, we were almost like a, a little bit of like a union. We were, we, we created this large like buying force. So it was kind of funny as these events would, would start to get, to, we'd start to organize these events, um, vendors and people external to us that would make money from us wanted to become a part of it. Uh, so those little events started with like 35, 40 people or so, uh, and it grew into what I turned into a trade show called AdSum. And I was hosting it in Aspen, Colorado, and there were three to 400 people attending booths, banners, sponsors, lights, camera, action, the whole nine yards. And through that process, I was doing a ton of networking and the shopping cart that I had been using, they just got acquired by another company. And right after that acquisition was done, since I had met, I, I didn't know it at the time, I had met with the acquirer prior to them buying the shopping cart and was creating some rapport and, and just like talking with them. After they acquired the shopping cart, then they came and asked, they, they knew that I had created this software technology um, that was like this reporting system. And back then there wasn't Shopify, uh, Amazon Seller Central was even more junky than it is now. 
Um, there just wasn't really a good way to understand how much money you're making if you're selling these products direct to consumers and using some of these different shopping carts. So I built it um, coming from a background of mortgage servicing and uh, the mortgage industry. And it was specific around subscribers of, uh, of like supplements or a subscription box. And after I, I built this, I'd shown it to a group of people at one of my events word got around people started asking for a license to it i started i didn't try to in the beginning but i eventually started to re, like resell it and start to license it out to my my competition and uh the owners of this other company that bought the shopping cart asked me if i'd be willing to sell it and i named kind of a crazy price it wasn't really even cash flowing at the time it was just a it was a cost center of mine that i was making a little bit of money uh, on the side, but I, I got, you can't even calculate the, the multiple because it wasn't an, uh, a net positive uh, entity at the time, but I got a great payoff for it. And uh, it was, I kind of talked a little bit more about it in my, uh, in my book, some of the things that I did right, some of the things that I did, that I did wrong. It was my first exit, but that's what gave me uh, the taste for M&A, uh, mergers and acquisitions. And later on, I met the founders of Website Closers. It's the largest marketplace for these types of businesses. And uh, I bought a franchise. It's kind of like, think about like Keller Williams, like the founders of Keller Williams. I don't own that, but I own my own Keller Williams office or website closers office. And I've got a couple of associate brokers and we do quite a few deals and make, uh, make the magic happen there. Absolutely. We will definitely be getting into more mergers and acquisitions stuff. But before we do, I have to ask, um, like you inadvertently created a trade show and kind of a, a large buying force, which I imagine was a tremendous lever to pull um, just from the network. Like out of most, like most extremely successful people will say your network is your net worth. And having that type of opportunity is obviously a, a tremendous lever to pull. So I'm just curious what kind of benefits you were able to get by creating this trade show almost by accident, which is just wonderful because it's beautiful how that happens in life all the time. Yeah, I have found that I'm just passionate about working with other entrepreneurs. I still do events. I did one in Aspen just this last December. It's kind of an exit preparatory event. I don't, I'm not going to do one this year, but I'm sure I'll do one again next year. And this event just kind of grew from 35 people up to about 400, I think 474 at the end um, when I started to pivot and, and, and go into business brokering. But definitely the biggest benefit it had from me had for me was my first year as a business broker. I sold a $25 million uh a consumer product good company that came from an attendee who came to one of my masterminds that referred the client who then ultimately sold for $25 million. And that was the, the largest professional transaction of my career at the time. And uh, I've done several larger since then, but at the time it was, it was really an incredible opportunity um, to go through that. And it was extremely validating to then take someone else through um, the M&A process. And I was new as a broker at the time. I've done dozens of transactions since then, but that was a special one because it was early on in my brokerage career and it was a big one. Uh, and it was really life altering for the client. He wrote the, uh, the forward of my book, uh, actually. So if you read the, the first part of the book, Austin, um, uh, my client, he wrote, he wrote that for me. And it's clear that he was genuine about his appreciation for the skills and the, um, and the, uh, the, the thought and effort that I put into that transaction and he and his partner, they made a staggering windfall from it.
Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go And most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Absolutely. Um, cool, man. So let's let's make the transition into mergers and acquisitions. So you kind of got into your first client there, which is tremendous. But like, what was that transition period like? Did you know you wanted to do this over and over again? What was the, the timeline between um, after your sale, after your exit and your, your entry into this new field? Yeah, so I exited my technology in 2016. Um, I continued to run my supplement company until 2018. Um, If I had known now, or if I had known then what I know now, I might have been able to exit it. But it was, um, these businesses are really, um, it's really hard to sell them when you've got lots of like waves of up and down, um, you know, sales. And that business was, the supplement sales were really choppy. Um, so I, that one wasn't really well poised for an exit. Uh, and it was just something that I was finding that I was really burning out of my passion and I could, I, at the time I didn't think I could exit it. I couldn't have exited it. Um, so I just ended up winding it down. I exited that partnership and moved on to do some other stuff. I continued to to run, um, more events and I did a mastermind for about a year and a half or so. And that's what led into the business brokerage and, I did that for a little while in parallel. Uh, The pandemic came in 2020 and that really changed everything. I became, I announced like my joining a website closures and becoming a business broker in January of 2020. And the pandemic came in March and everything pretty much stopped for about three or four months. But then in June of 2020, man, it was like the the floodgates opened. Um, I got a number of clients that agreed to engage uh, and then, uh, you know, several, I had three or four closings that fall. And then in 2021, that's when uh, California Beach Company, that large transaction closed and a bunch of others closed in 2020, uh, 2021 was an epic year um, for mer- mergers and acquisitions. And it's really just, you know, it's, it slowed down a little bit in, in late 2022 and 2023, but it's picking back up again. Um, and it's just kind of interesting how the M&A uh, space, it kind of rides the waves with interest rates. So as interest rates have gone up, 
the cost of capital has gone up. And so people who are acquiring businesses, they're, they're having, they are compressing or having to compress the valuation and multiples of some of the businesses that we were selling for a little bit more last year, but they're still staggering amounts of, um, uh, of, of enterprise valuation that we're still commanding now. So it's, uh, I don't really see it necessarily as a bad thing. It's just, there was a blip of time where things were really hot. You know, we had a confluence of mm-hmm. the pandemic was a world renowned event that showcased e-commerce and we were selling mostly e-commerce businesses. We had some of the lowest interest rates in history. Um, and then we had a, a really plentiful amount of capital in the capital markets. So all of those things coming together made for a wild uh, 2021 and early 2022. I can relate, man. I'm in real estate. So, I mean, <laughs> I was on a similar roller coaster to you. Um, obviously, we're directly tied to the inflation rates, but it's been a, it, was, it was a wild journey for us as well. Like simple economics, when, when demand stays constant and supply drops massively, what happens with the prices? Um, it's been an interesting journey. We're still in kind of a weird spot in the transitionary period. Um, but you did just touch upon something that I thought was extremely important. I think most entrepreneurs have no idea what their business is worth. Um, how would you go about assessing the true market value of a business? Yeah, I, uh, maybe I can link to a series of videos I have on, uh, on YouTube. It's, a lot of people ask me, what's my multiple? And then I have about 23 questions for them. So uh, I've, I've done a series of videos on my YouTube channel where I take somebody through what a broker would do or an appraiser would do to assess their business value. And this is something I'll do for clients for free if they're over a quarter million dollars in profit and over two years old. Uh, if they're less than that or newer, uh, it would probably be one of my associates that'll handle it. But the larger transactions, I, sp- I have to spend about an hour on the phone with the client, and it's very unique. I'm, I'm assessing a variety of things from their historical growth uh, to the, the, professional, uh, uh, the professionalism of their financials, um, literally looking at their financials and is this, does this match what an industry standard look would be? Is, did they export it out of QuickBooks or is this on the back of a napkin or is it somewhere in between? Um, and then we'll go into details around the sales and marketing of the business, the operations of the business, the infrastructure of the business. Uh, it's, it's short-term growth, uh, short-term opportunities. It's long-term growth and opportunities. It's pretty comprehensive. Uh, and that's what I do as part of the intake process. Like the, you know, a lot of people will contact us and say they'd like a, a, a business valuation and sales consultation. And that's what we do. It's kind of like what a doctor would do if they were to give you an hour of their time for free to assess, you know, an, an ailment that you might have, or a lawyer would give an hour of time uh, to understand the situation that you're in. That's what we do as a business services company. So we'll spend about an hour on the phone. I'll spend longer than that. In fact, I've got some clients that I've been helping them with exit prep- preparation for, shoot, one of them, it's over a year now I've been working with them. We're still not listed yet, but um, they've agreed to list with me. So, you know, I, I'm, I feel honor bound to continue that process. And the, the more valuable their company is worth, the more money we'll all make once it sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine that's the case. So I like the doctor analogy. So one of these people come into your office, so to speak, and I'm sure you identify 20 potential red flags. Um, would that, obviously, remedying these red flags, taking the flag down would be a tremendous way to increase the value. Um, what other ways would you have um, to increase the value of a business? 
That's that is really the number one way because we'll go through quite a bit. And then uh, each of those scenarios, if there's a situation that's not really uh, desirable by a buyer, that's a red flag. And that would be to your point, that's we want to take that flag down. So if it's something as simple as, uh, you know, the, the seller hasn't documented any of their like day to day procedures and they also don't want to be involved to teach the buyer after the sale. Well, you, you can't have you have to have one or the other. You either need to be involved for a while and teach them or you need to document everything so thoroughly that an idiot could do it. So like we'll have conversations like that and it becomes really clear. Most of the times I'll, I'll do an evaluation myself and then I'll report back my findings to the client. And sometimes we'll do them together and like I'll literally walk them through my process and I'll have them assess themselves and I'll ask them, put yourselves in the shoes of a buyer. You're someone who's getting ready to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to buy a business really with not a lot of information to go on. How would you assess, you know, these different factors, uh, the transferability of the business? Like, is there anybody that's a part of the business that's willing to go along with it? Are there any employees, staff, infrastructure, or is it you just kind of drop this in their lap and you leave them alone with it? Um, so stuff like that comes up and it's, it's like, it's glaringly apparent that you need to handle it. Uh, and if you don't handle it, then something's going to be like in deep trouble with it. I, lo I love the way you phrase that. Um, you drop it in their lap. I, I like how you, you put it to them as a question. I think that's obviously very strategic because it comes across very differently. It's like, Hey, you're doing this wrong. And it's like, how do you think somebody would feel when they see this? Because they're forced to look at the issue and answer the question then instead of feel attacked <laughs> because you just accuse them of something, even though it's probably apparent. I would love to ask what is the craziest thing you've run into, but I would imagine there's non-disclosure agreements. So let's move beyond that part. Um, well, let's talk about the names um, of it, some things that are wild quite stuff. likely. Okay, well, let's get into it then. I have to ask because it, I'm sure you've seen some wild things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think probably the wildest one is um, I get a lot of people that will contact me with companies that aren't making any money at all. And they want to sell for ungodly amounts of money. And uh, the unfortunate aspect of what, what the, the marketplace that I represent is it's a lower middle market. They only... They only are interested in buying cash flowing viable entities. So for all those folks that have a pipe dream and or they've put all their money into growth, you know, they're reinvesting in the company. Man, I love you to death. And from one entrepreneur to another, you can you can fool yourself all day long. But profit is what makes the world go go round. And if you're not making any profit, your your company ain't worth dick. I'm sorry, man. Like you got to be making some profit and it's otherwise you're looking for angel investors or startup investors and you're selling ideas and you're only going to get a couple thousand dollars, mm. you know, five and $15,000 from, a, you know, from some different people. You're not going to get millions of bucks from some dummy. That's just going to stroke a check. People who've got millions of dollars don't want to lose any money. They don't want to lose anything. That's the secret to their success is not losing money. Yeah. So they're not going to invest in an, un, an unviable business, which is anything that's not making any money. 
Absolutely. So let's ask the inverse to the previous question I asked. Like, what could you do to increase values? Like, what would happen that would dramatically reduce the value of a business? And just an additional question for the accountants out there: Are there times where you want to reduce the value of business? Yeah. So the the, the what decreases value the most is when the business starts to lose money, uh, or it's not able to keep the same, at least at a plateau of profitability. And how we look at that is we're measuring things on on a, on a time basis. Most of my buyers and the lenders that we work with are looking at the, the last 12 months and they're comparing that to the last couple of uh, fiscal years or calendar years. So if your business was you know made a million dollars in 2021, it made $2 million in 2022. And then so far in the last 12 months, it's making two and a half million dollars. You're good to go. You're going to get a zillion offers. You're going to sell the living shit out of that company. We're going to make a ton of money together. If it's the opposite, if you're making 2.5 million in 2021, 2 million in 2022, and a million in the last 12 months, unsellable. You you won't find a buyer to, to buy that unless there's something extremely unique about the business. Those are some of the most difficult businesses to sell to, to our audience. Um, yeah, it's that is a absolute tough situation. So that's the number one way to to damage your business's value is to just become less and less profitable over time. Uh, you have to constant. This is this is a really cruel business world. You have to really be uh, outdoing yourself every year. It doesn't have to be by massive amounts. It could be by five percent a year. Twenty five percent is considered abnormally incredible. So if you've got a 25% growth rate, wow. Mm -hmm. And I've met people that have got a hundred percent, 50%, like those are like rock star. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then if, yeah. you know, for any CPAs or anyone that's like on the financial side, is there any reason why you would want to make your company less profitable? God, I can't think of why you would want to make your company less profitable, but I can tell you how people are doing it. They're putting every like, <laughs> okay. tax expense or every personal expense that the business write off into their business. And that ain't always the best plan because there are certain situations where I can't add those back in as profit. And certain lenders don't give a crap if you've spent $30,000 on travel. They're not going to give you that. But like your trip to Bali and Chiang Mai and Bangkok and, and Vietnam or whatever as a digital nomad. And you put that all in the books as, the, as a business travel, even though it's more personal travel. Uh, SBA loans, they, they're not going to go through your, your receipts and audit all of those receipts and, and, and let you add those back. So you'll lose all that. that that's you know $25,000 at a four times multiple. You just lost $100,000 in valuation because of $25,000 worth of, worth of uh, travel right uh, travel expenses that you wrote off. The better way to do that is have a holding company that's a single member LLC and put all of your your personal expenses in that. Leave your operating company pristine, totally separate. If it's offering a service or a product, put that entity like on a pedestal. Don't put any miscellaneous expenses in that. Let it go ahead and dividend or or distribute profit into your holding company. And in that, whatever you want, cell phone, Tesla, travel, um, you know, I, entertainment, what, what like do it there. 
because that's not the company you're showing your your um, your financials to the buyer. You're showing them the operating entity, the one that's that's wheeling and dealing with consumers or with other businesses if it's a B2B company. Absolutely. So just going back to your previous point, obviously a company that is losing profitability year to year, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out why that one is hard to sell, right? So it makes a lot of sense. Um, I would love to talk about um, website closers a little bit. Um, let's, yeah. let's get into this with over 167,000 potential buyers. Like what, what kind of trends or patterns are you seeing in their buying behavior as of, you know, say the last six to 12 months? Yeah, well, we're seeing a lot of activity. Um, you know, it, one of the things that's really incredible about the, the marketplace, and I didn't believe this in the beginning, when I first met Jason and Ron, the, the founders of the company, I thought they were full of crap. Uh, they were telling me just how many buyers they had, and I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And it took a little while for it to sink in. And once I became a business broker and I started listing businesses, I started taking screenshots of my inbox. Once we've done a listing, I'll get anywhere between 150 and 300 buyers that will sign an NDA off of one email we send to our, our network. And so 300 buyers signing an NDA, I'm one, I'm one guy. Like I have to vet every single one of those people before I can like move them through the process. So it was incredibly challenging in the beginning uh, for me to be able to like have a touch point with all those different buyers. And I've gotten like a pretty slick system now where I've got a process that um, I'm a bit of a gatekeeper, but I make people follow this process and it still turns out incredible buyers. And it also helps me pre-screen them so that we're not wasting time with tire kickers because the, the unfortunate part of our success is with that 167,000 some odd buyers that we've got, there's some in there that they're just looky loose. Like they're, they're not, they're, they may never buy anything. And I have to, um, I have to determine that quickly, uh, and I have to, and I have to separate huh. them out from the ones who will buy multiple companies. And we've got those. We've got you know certain ones that they've already bought several companies from us, and they're hunting for more. And they 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 like us. They know us. They trust us. They feel like they can buy companies from us that you know we will well represent both sides of the transaction. Um, we are a sell side only. Uh, firm, so we we're representing the the seller of the business. You know, like in like in real estate, we're like the sell side agent. Um, but you know, that's the that's the incredible part of this marketplace is we're just leveraging, <coughs> you know, thirteen years worth of accruing these buyers, and that's what we did. We just started listing businesses on every other marketplace until our marketplace became large enough that we became the MLS for. One million two hundred fifty million dollar uh, internet tech and, and uh, software uh, type businesses, e-commerce businesses too. Absolutely. Um, is there a type of business that is really in the rage right now? Um, obviously, you're kind of um, you have a niche that seems to be focused on the digital. Um, just curious, is there something that's really really working right now? Yeah, we always sell the hell out of supplement companies. People who have like. Create. They can either be private labeling supplements or having a custom formulation. Um, they might be selling them on Amazon or just direct to consumers uh, through Shopify or or some other platform. Uh, those are the, like seem to always be the rage. We've got a hundred and forty million dollar one listed right now. It's making twenty three million dollars a year. Oh, wow. Massive. Um, 
I've got one for eight and a half million dollars right now that's just killing it as well. So we've got them from all over the place. Um, those tend to do really well. Anything that's selling stuff on Amazon, uh, those do really, really well. If it's selling physical products on Shopify as well, again, like stuff that's doing like as seen on TV kind of sales. The more branded the mm -hmm. product is, typically the more sexy it is for buyers. If it's like kind of a Me Too product that they just found off of AliExpress or, or are shipping out of China, um, those still sell pretty well. I, I don't know, I kind of make a sneer in my face, but I, should, I shouldn't because those, those still sell really well. Um, but yeah, those physical products, it's, they, they tend to do really well because there's, like, there's a physical good that's being transferred to a consumer. Um, that being said too, I sell, I have a great track record selling digital marketing agencies and other business to business service companies. I've got a document management company, um, that's doing really well right now. So it's, it's kind of all over the board. It's, it's, it goes back to profit, whatever's making a profit, because that's what buyers want. They want to buy cash flow. It's just like, if you're going to buy real estate, if you're in the rental space, like you want to buy cash flow. You know, we all read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. We know okay, we accumulate enough cash flow, we get out of the rat race. All right. Well, it's the same thing in business, but you have the chance for a two million dollar transaction with an eighty percent loan from the SBA. You're only putting down twenty percent, so maybe you put four hundred grand down, and it's going to make on two hundred uh, two million dollars. It's probably going to make close to a million maybe 1.1 or somewhere like 800,000 to $1.1 million in, in cash flow per year. Dude, you got to buy a lot of real estate to make a million dollars worth of cash flow a year. And you can do that in one transaction yeah. for probably not 2 million, probably 3 million, bucks, <laughs> three, three or 4 million bucks, but you're only putting down 20%. So how many, how many rentals do you want to buy? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a great point. I wish I could get more granular into the, these details, man, because you just you bring up a hundred more questions. Like I almost want to dig super deep into the marketing agency thing, just because that's a super interesting space to me. It seems like one of the easiest businesses to start, but I also think it's one of the most difficult businesses to actually run well. Um, I know there's so many people out there that are just teaching kids, just go hire a bunch of, or go get a bunch of clients and go figure it out, um, which works um it works but i don't want to be the client of that company that's for sure <laughs> yeah. um but let's get back on topic um you mentioned in your book about certain value multipliers um could you delve into what some of the most significant ones of those may be i probably am going to sound like a like a broken record it's profit man it's growth and profit that's the <laughs> most important part because that's that's what your that's what your multiplier is multiplied off of so if you're making $100,000 and your multiple is 2x, you're making $200,000. But if you're making a million dollars and your multiple is 2x, which it wouldn't be, but it would just say it was, then you're making $2 million is going to be your, your asking price. So the biggest thing that you can affect as an entrepreneur is always your bottom line, is profit first. Um, the multiples themselves, the things that help the most is what reduces the risk for the buyer. So if you've got long-term contracts, if you're a B2B company, that reduces the risk. If you've got subscription revenue or, or monthly recurring revenue, if you're a software company or a subscription, if you're an e-commerce company, that reduces the risk. If there's, there's what at least is perceived as some guarantee of, of revenue coming in. Um, but another big part of it is just having, you know, really defensible, you know, pro having a defensible product, having uh, a moat around what your what your service is, 
you know, so that you, you don't have to worry quite so much about competition. Um, you know, buyers want to, they want things that are unique, especially as they become more and more expensive or start getting up there in the 10, $20 million range. The businesses have to be pretty sexy. They have to be able to stand on their own. They have to be able to defend themselves against competition. So those are some things that are pretty big that weigh heavily towards, you know, what's, uh, what's going to be a strong multiple. Absolutely, Nate. Um, well, thank you so much for that. Um, I, I wish we had more time, Nate. Um, unfortunately, uh, my schedule is is getting a little tight here. But um, anybody that wanted to take a look at what you have to offer, um, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Go to natelind.com forward slash gift, G-I-F-T. And you can download a, a copy of my book. And uh, I've got a, a ton of other resources as well. Um, I show examples of like what are financials that I've sold, others that are just a train wreck and don't sell. Um, I, I've got a, a variety of materials. I talk all about how to figure out what your multiple is. Uh, I've got a link to a series of videos on my YouTube channel that I'll walk you through that. And uh, I've got another series coming up. It's all about exit prep. So how to look at your valuation and then reverse engineer. What do you got to fix in order to make your multiple higher? Um, absolutely. So there you have it. Freedom Chasers. Check it out. Um, NateLynn.com forward slash gift. I'll be getting that book and I will definitely be checking it out. Um, so Nate Lynn, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life, into your business and, and what it's like to sell, sell a business. <laughs> and, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So if I could give you one piece of advice from this episode, Profit first. Focus on profit. If you have any goal to sell your business, if you want to have an exit, focus on growth, focus on profit, and you'll probably do okay. Um, so that's about it. Tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Tim. Oh, thank you, Nate. Sorry about that. The Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 